Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of You Could Hide to Collab podcast. My name is Daniel, and this is my brother, Clive. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode eight. We're doing Second Nephi 6 to 10. What we'll notice is we're going to start with a lot of the Compare Isaiah chapters. We're going to get into it heavily in the next couple of weeks, but for now, it's really the start of the Compare Isaiah chapters. It is. I'm very much looking forward to it. It's a nice, easy one. To, to start off with today but there's such great doctrine and we've talked about this a couple of times of how much doctrine there is in second nephi and we are absolutely going to be talking about that today start off with a quote i have asked ai why we should read the book of mormon all right it's given me five bullet points so it says here are some reasons why you should read the book of mormon it teaches true doctrine concerning christ's atonement the foundation for the plan of salvation. So good start. Mm. It adds a second witness to the Bible as a testimony of Christ. It teaches the cause and effect of war and what conditions it is justified. That was a bit, that's okay. It tells of evils and dangers of secret combinations, which are built up to get power and gain over the people. And it tells of the reality of Satan and gives an indication of some of the methods he uses. Bit different. Yeah, that's interesting. That's, I mean, it's one of those things where technology, it's used for bad a lot of the times. And then you see something like this and you go, oh, that's, that's actually quite good. Imagine somebody else had typed that in. Good start. All right, well, let's get straight into it. So we are starting at 2 Nephi chapter 6. And I wanted to give a, an update on where we are. So... If you look at the heading, of course, we're somewhere between 559 to 545. So five, the year 545 BC, kind of where we are. It's our closest, our best, best estimates. We're in that bracket. We're now split between the Nephites and Lamanites. We've talked about that. That happened last week. The Nephites have been the people of Nephi for about 40 years, 40 plus years or so. And we talked last week about that there was... Uh, it says that there was some wars and some contentions with their brethren, but there wasn't too much talked about. What I wanted to point out today as well is that chapter 6 of 2 Nephi all the way to the end of 2 Nephi, right the way through, is all about the same time frame. So all the way to the end, all the way in chapter 33, it's still the same time. It's there's so much packed, obviously, what happened in this time, and we'll talk about this as a what I'm what I'm describing as the first general conference in our church's history. I wanted to just back up what we spoke about in terms of how many people and how big of a city this was. There's a few things that give us an indication of the unsettling or the settling of the land. First of all, we talked about uh, the need for a king. So in chapter 6, what we'll cover is we see here that when Jacob is addressing people, he's, he says, I am consecrated by my brother Nephi, who you all asked to be your king. So that's the first indication that there's a lot of people who aren't related to them. Anyone who's related to Nephi is know that not, would know that they're not going to ask him to be their king. So it must have been a conglomerate of other people who have said, hey, we need this guy to be our leader and we want him to be our official king. And where they got that idea from, I'm unsure. But Nephi certainly wouldn't have suggested, hey, you guys should vote for me to be a king. The other part is, Clive, I'm just going to skip right ahead 
all the way to Jacob chapter 7. And Jacob chapter 7 is a long way away, but it's actually in terms of time, it's actually not that far into the future. I, I mentioned that we're about, we're around about 545 BC. Well, chapter 7 is 544 to 421 BC. So that's in the future, and that covers a really, really long time span. But essentially, I wanted to highlight here of how big of a city or how, how many people would have been around. And there's a guy called Sherem. And Sherem approaches Jacob, and he essentially he, he says that he's been trying to get an audience with Jacob. And um, Sherem's actually been going around preaching to people that there is no Christ. We'll get into him in, in you know, many, many weeks' time. It, it just shows you that if you think about the number of people around, how many people there must have been, if one guy can go kind of unnoticed, walking around a city, preaching that there is no Christ. And eventually he says, Jacob, I've been trying to catch you. I've been trying to speak to you. And I haven't been able to get to you, but now I have. If that city is less than 100, well, that's not happening, right? Everyone knows everyone at that stage, you know, your neighbor. Everyone knows his neighbor and their dog. If it's a city of 100 that's people right. in the span of 40 years. In yeah. 500 people, if even 1,000 people. Right? If, I think, if I think about a really big company, a really big company might have 200 workers. You're probably going to know the name and you're probably going to be able to walk up to any of those people at any time. But if we're getting 1,000, more than 1,000, 5,000, 10,000, Okay, now it's probably harder to go and just grab someone's attention. Exactly. It's a big city. You can go unnoticed and you can start preaching what you want to preach is exactly what he did. Many roads, many houses, not just one or two. I guess I want, I, I, in my interpretation is certainly that there must have been a lot of people. 40 years from when the Nephites and Lamanites split. And there's a lot going on. You know, we read in the, the last episode that they got to work straight away when they became the Nephites. They made big buildings, they made a temple, they made tons of swords that were the replica of the Sword of Laban. So they're getting to work and there's a lot of people. So it's, I guess I just wanted to, I might, that might have been a bit long-winded, but I wanted to just get my point across that what we're dealing with here is a large settlement of people, not a small settlement, a large settlement of people. So that brings us to what is actually happening in chapter 6. What I've got written, Clive, in my scriptures here, it says it's the, the first general conference. The reason we know this is, well, it starts off pretty simply. The words of Jacob, the brother of Nephi, which he spake unto the people of Nephi. So the scene is set. Jacob, the brother of Nephi, is speaking unto the people. He's not speaking to one person. He's not speaking to a family. He's generally speaking to the people, whoever the people are and how many there are. And he starts off. He starts off addressing them with who he is. He says he's been ordained after the manner of his holy order. So he's got the priesthood. He says he's been consecrated by my brother Nephi. And he says, behold, you know that I have spoken unto you exceedingly many things. So another clue here that this isn't the first time that Jacob spoke to people. Yeah, well, we did learn last week that Jacob and Joseph were set apart as teachers of these people, didn't we? So That's right, yeah. I guess, yeah, he's gone, I've been teaching, I've been preaching, now I've been, been called to gather everyone together, and, and like you said, first general conference. And then he says a, co a couple of really important words, yea, mine anxiety is great for you. And that's how he starts it off. 
He goes, nevertheless, I speak unto you again, for I am desirous for the welfare of your souls. Yea, my anxiety is great for you. And ye yourselves know that it ever has been. So Jacob's getting up and he talks to me, says, you know who I am? My brother's Nephi. I'm stressed. I'm stressed for what you guys are going through. And I want to talk to you. I've taught you so much. He says, I've taught you the things of my father. But now there's a point where I need to bring you together and I need to give you a whole lesson. And why I think, again, something else to back up, why I think this was like a, a, the first general conference is in the next verse, he says that Nephi's asked him. Nephi's asked him to, to teach. And they are the words which, so he says here, I will read you the words of Isaiah. And they are the words which my brother has desired that I should speak unto you. And I speak unto you for the, your sakes, that ye may learn and glorify the name of your God. Ne Nephi and Jacob are chatting. What should we teach them? Well, of course, they turn to the scriptures. They turn to the plates. They, they turn to the words which their father had taught them. The way Nephi asked Jacob to do it, it's not an alien concept to us. Because when we're asked to speak in church, then were given all right i need you to speak on whatever sunday it is and here's your topic and that's essentially what nephi has done he's gone to jacob i need you to speak to the people isaiah is your topic yeah yeah so you know, cool it's, it's something that, that that they've done we're doing it's just great it's how it all thousands of years has passed and we're still doing, still doing the same thing yeah so he gets into isaiah and he he just the way he teaches i really really like verses six and seven is actually the only two verses here for a little while. We'll get to more in a minute. But it's he just gives two verses. Verse 6 and verse 7 are Isaiah. And then he stops and he teaches. He teaches about the verses that he's just read. I like how he's read the scriptures and then he stopped and he said, I'm now going to teach you what this means. Because Isaiah is, is complicated. So he says, and now I, Jacob, would speak somewhat concerning these words. And he goes on to say what's been happening. We've left Jerusalem Jerusalem is now captive. He goes into detail about these verses. I, I think it's just great. I think just this style of teaching is just fantastic. So he teaches and he teaches a theme. And I want to just talk about that theme. And we want to get to, I know we really want to get into chapter nine and we want to talk about chapter nine a little bit. I just want to get through here what he teaches because it's it's if you read the detail it's really, really impressive. And it gives a tone of what they're going through as well. So from verse 16, 17, and 18 is again Isaiah's words. But if you look, verse 17 isn't just Isaiah's words. He actually adds his own. So I'll just read this out. But saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away. And the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. And then he adds his own part in the verse here. For the mighty God shall deliver his covenant people. And then, he, and then he says, for thus saith the Lord. And then he goes back to Isaiah. I will contend with them that contendeth with thee. And I thought that was really interesting about what is he teaching? And why have they chosen these specific passages from Isaiah? I think that when I read these verses and when I try and understand the verses, because we've got chapter seven and chapter eight, which are predominantly Isaiah, they're words from Isaiah that show a Lord who is protecting his people, who is out looking 
after his people. And why would that be? Well, there's a couple of, there's there's quite a few here. If we look at ch- chapter 8, verse 9, Awake, awake, put on the strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days. But if you go down to verse 12, I am he, yea, I am he that comforteth you. Behold, who art thou, that thou shouldest be afraid of man who shall die, and of the son of man who shall be made like unto grass? This teaching from Isaiah is saying, why would you be afraid of people when you know what, when you, if you believe in me, you believe in me as Christ, what I can do for you? Jacob is taking the people on this journey. You're worried about what's going on. We've had some wars. We got the Lamanites. They're real scumbags. But the Lord will protect us. And if you just believe in Christ, why would you be afraid of man if you believe in Christ? I think that's why Jacob and Nephi have chosen these specific words from Isaiah. Because it paints a picture. It's a starting off. What am I going to teach them? And then in the end, it's a beautiful picture. And the picture that they've painted is a Christ who's looking after his people. The people are stressed, they're worried about worldly concerns, but actually if they just turn their attention to God, it's going to be okay. And that 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 is the lesson. That's the lesson of, of chapter 7 and chapter 8. That's what this this warrior, this divine warrior, this is what Jacob is is pointing out that from Isaiah's words, that we're believing in a Christ who will who has our backs and we don't need to be stressed. We just need to turn our faith to him. I think that's a great lesson. And I feel like it's been a theme forever with General Conference. There's always been a theme of, yes, things are tough, but basically come what may and love it. Like the Lord will always guide us. The Lord will always bless us. So it's okay. You know, it's, I, see, I feel like it's always a theme and it, yeah, it really stems from, you know, Isaiah's words. And I guess that's why it was repeated by Jacob, and it's constantly repeated now. You do feel for these people of Nephi. The first place where they land, they, they, the Lamanites take that land, and the Nephites had to go and find somewhere else. So they, they you know, they get second pickings essentially. They're, they're clearly they're worried, and and uh, you, you're probably right. You know, it's not too dissimilar to what happens now. We, yeah, we do have conferences and we have lessons at church every week. And we're always needing to be constantly reminded. Well, it's part, it's part of our life. We're constantly reminded that if we try to for, just forget the world, that Christ will have our backs. Okay, well, chapter 9 and chapter 10 is more explaining and more teaching of the words of Isaiah. He, he now goes into detail where Jacob now puts it in his own words and teaches what he's just read to the people. He doesn't really do it again later on. So I think it's really something that he's gone, I need to make it simple for these people because it's really important. In fact, Joseph Fielding Smith said about Second Nephi chapter 9 that it contains one of the most enlightening discourses ever delivered in regard to the atonement and it should be carefully read by every person seeking salvation. Oh, cool. So... It's very, very important, the chapter. And I really think that's why Jacob went, all right, I'm going to explain what I've just read the best way I can. And, so and, he's, going to give, and he's going to give the good news. The atonement is the good news. That's exactly right. The Lamanites right. Don't, don't, have the, don't, don't know of the atonement. And he's, he's, he's saying, I'm going to teach you about the atonement. That's how good we've got it. We know about the atonement. Yeah, and it all goes with what you were saying. Yes, it might seem like doom and gloom, but because of this... 
in the end we can be saved so rejoice christ's always with us because of this thing that i'm going to explain is what he's saying yeah essentially so yeah so he explains that in verse one that he's going to explain what he's just talked about so in verse two he speaks of the covenant people who are the covenant people really harold b lee explained that the covenant people are are us the, the people the church of christ we are the ones he's speaking of here. He says, The gathering of Israel is the joining of the true church, coming to the knowledge of the true God and worshipping him in the congregation of the saints. Please note that these revealed words speak of Israel being established in all the lands of promise. Mm. Every nation speaking every tongue among every people. The place of gathering for the Mexican saints is in Mexico. For the Japanese saints is in Japan. For the Australian saints is Australia. Right. So it's not one place. You know, this is where we are is essentially Zion. It's Israel. We are the covenant people where we are in the church as long as we are part of this community. You know, those that accept Christ into our lives and and join the church. Yeah, I don't think I've ever read like that before. Established in all their lands of promise. Our lands of promise. Everyone's lands of promise. The, The stakes are everywhere, right? That's right. Yeah, exactly. I remember when I was on my mission in California, there was a lot of things happening, a lot of new laws coming in, and everyone started to panic. So a lot of people were moving to Utah because they thought, this is Zion, this is where we're all going to end up being anyway. And they had a special conference. Elder Uchtdorf had a special conference just for California. And he essentially said the same thing. You know, where you are is Zion. It's not Utah. You don't have to flee to Utah. Where you are... You are the people of Zion. Everyone in their hometown where they are now, this is Zion. Zion is established within you. So, yeah, so then he, he sort of, then he gets into, the, you know, the, the, the atonement and what's important about the atonement in verse 5. He says, the atonement, essentially he's saying that the atonement wouldn't be complete if Christ didn't become like us. So he speaks here of Christ being subject unto man in the flesh. We've talked about, how important this great God, this great creator, how he came down to the lowest of low. The atonement wouldn't have worked if he just stayed up in heaven and went, yeah, okay, click my fingers, the atonement's done. It doesn't work that way. So it's really emphasizing here that this great creator had to become subject like unto man. I think it's something that he's really trying to emphasize. So Jacob says, It behoovereth the great creator that he suffereth himself to become subject like unto man in the flesh and to die for all men that all men might become subject unto him. You know, right. Christ lived it so he can show it. He has the you authority. Know, essentially. Yeah. And then he gets into, you know, the, the other parts of the atonement. It's not just... You know, the atonement's a massive, massive thing, and to cover it would take us forever. But again, he's, he's trying to explain everything that's, that's been spoken of. So in verse 6, he talks about the death and the importance of this creator being a man and, and dying. And he says that death will come to all, but the plan of salvation, the only way the plan of salvation can work is that death comes into this world because there is now a resurrection. There must needs here, to be a power of resurrection. There must needs be a power of resurrection. The resurrection must needs come unto man by reason of the fall. So essentially, there needs to be a resurrection because of the fall of Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve fell, so now death is present in the world. And so there needs to be a resurrection. But it says that it's not just physical death, but because of the transgression of choosing to partake of the fruit, 
it's now a spiritual death. So the atonement must needs to cover a physical death. So there needs to be a resurrection to combat that. And then there needs to be someone to take on the sins of the world because of this spiritual death that's come into the world. So there's two things here that the important that the atonement really needs to focus on. You know what this this just reminded me of just then the way the way that you've just said this it follows the same the same way this is. So this is Jacob speaking. There must needs be a power of resurrection, and the resurrection must needs come by unto man by reason of the fall, and the fall came by reason of transgression. And because man became fallen, they were cut off from the presence of the Lord. I just skipped back to chapter 2 again when Lehi taught Jacob. And chapter 2, verse 13, I feel like it's almost, he's almost repeating the way he was taught because Lehi teaches him, and if there be no righteousness, there be no happiness, and if there be no righteousness, no happiness, there be no punishment, no misery. And, he, and this entire verse it's almost the same theme. It's almost the exact same style. I, I can almost feel him teaching in the way his father taught him. Yeah, you're exactly right. And he does get into that more specifically later. But yeah, he does. There has to be this because there's this, which means there's this. And all these things need to fall into place because of this one thing. Yeah, it's very cool. you're exactly right. Uh, yeah, it really does follow the theme. It makes very much sense why up in verse 3, he says, I speak unto you these things that you may rejoice and lift up your heads forever. Like, I'm about to tell you the greatest thing, the absolute greatest. Like, yep, you might be down, you might be sad, but but lift up your heads. I'm, I'm about to just drop the most amazing knowledge. And it's like you were saying before, you know, the people, he's saying to them that rejoice in Christ. But without the knowledge of the atonement, it's hard to do that. Right. It's hard to understand why. So yeah, you're right. That's exactly what he's saying. This is why we need to rejoice. I'm about to tell you the most amazing thing. And then he really gets into mm. it. So I really like in verse 7, he says, Wherefore it must needs be an infinite atonement. At this time, this was 560 to 540 years before Christ was born. Right. So the atonement, when it were to happen, it needed to be not only after the atonement was performed for those people after, but for those people before as well. So it needs to be an atonement that can go forever forwards and forever backwards. Well, it's not just the atonement and then everything else. Well, I did get out. I've I've got the uh, book called The Infinite Atonement by Tad R. Callister. And it's a great book. If, if anyone hasn't read it, I, I, I suggest that you get it. So it's a fantastic book. And when I was reading, of course, I you know, this this word infinite, you know, kept coming to my mind, infinite, infinite, infinite. And so I grabbed this book out and it talks about from basically chapter 8 to chapter 15, what are the infinite things of the atonement? Well, it's infinite in divineness, infinite in power, infinite in time, infinite coverage, infinite in depth, infinite in suffering, infinite in love. And that thing that you just mentioned, infinite in time, that's what stood out to me the most because I thought, well, yeah, the these these group of people aren't believing don't need to believe the same thing as us we believe that christ came a couple of thousand years ago died for our sins and will come again so he's only coming one more time for us these group of people they need to believe that in 600 years in the future a christ will come he will he will die he will be resurrected the atonement etc 
And then when that's happened, then in a couple more thousand years in the future after that, he's going to come again. And so I was having a look at the, I was, I was having a read of that chapter, Infinite in Time, and it it prompted to go to, I better make sure I get this right, uh, Mosiah 3.13. And of course, you know, King Benjamin, these fantastic group of scriptures. And he's talking about the atonement. And he says here, I won't read it all, but essentially he said, um, whosoever should believe that Christ should come, the same might receive remission of their sins and rejo rejoice with exceedingly great joy, even as though he had already come among them. So they're teaching that doctrine. They're, they're, they're teaching doctrine that is Christ has already come once. We don't need to worry. Like that's already happened. You know, we've got the scriptures and we've got multiple other things that we go on. They've got to believe in that that there's Christ is going to come twice. That's that's a really good point. Yeah, I never actually thought of it like that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, in their minds, they do have to think of it as if it's already happened because it is infinite. But they're struggling. We're, we've gone, it's happened, so we can be forgiven. They've got to go, it's going to happen. But they might, in their minds, go, what if something happens and it doesn't happen? Am I still saved? I guess it is a lot harder for them. But you, you right. just said it just then. They have to act as if it already happened. Yeah. That's, that's, that's important because it hasn't happened yet, but it has because Christ was never not going to do it. Like he is the trusted one. He is the, he is the almighty. So to them, it physically hasn't happened to happen yet, but it is going to, and it's zero risk that it's not going to. So I think, I think that's perfect that how you've just said it, it is a bit of a weird way to think about it, but yeah, it, it hasn't happened yet, but because it's infinite in time, like it's a weird way. Yeah. It's a weird uh, mind warp, I think. Mm, I agree. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Sorry, where were well, we up to? He, no, that's right. So now he's talking about the importance of the resurrection. So why, why would we need a resurrection? He's talking about the importance of the resurrection in verse 8. And he's saying that it's wisdom in God in his mercy and his grace that the flesh should rise again. Because he's saying here that if the flesh doesn't rise again, then we're no better than Satan and his followers right now. Right. And when I read that, it actually reminded me of the story of the man who was possessed with devils and Christ came upon him. And, you know, he asked who they were and they explained who they were and they knew who Christ was. And they wanted a body so badly that they knew that Christ was going to cast them out and they'd want to be cast into the swine. That's how much they wanted a body. That's how terrible it is not to have a body and joseph smith gives a bit of commentary on this and he says the great principle of happiness consists in having a body the devil has no body and herein is his punishment he is pleased when he can obtain a tabernacle of man and when cast out by the savior he asks to go into a herd of swine showing that he would prefer a swine's body to having none wow. jacob's really emphasizing here that it's important the resurrection is an important thing because without it we are no better than satan himself and then he talks about what you were just mentioning there that there's people that need the atonement way before christ was around he's talking about not only adam and eve you know it's not just satan's trickery to, that caused the fall but the devil worked through cain and his family and josephus says it came to pass that the posterity of cain became exceedingly wicked Everyone successfully dying one after the other, 
more wicked than the former. Now, look at Satan and his lies. And not only is he convincing back then his lies, but now he's convincing people that bad things are good. And he's also convincing people that he doesn't exist and God doesn't exist. There's a lot of layers there mm. for, you know, the, the infinite atonement. And, and really, Satan's really working hard to, to make sure that these things are shut down. And he says here that he explains it as secret works of darkness. It's really emphasizing it there. And then he goes on, uh, he speaks more about, you know, Satan and all that, but I'll, I'll just skip that and just go to verse 12. Oh, yes, I've got verse now 12 highlighted, so thank goodness. Yeah, because he talks about here, now he's going on to the spiritual death. And he calls the spiritual death hell. Mm. So why is the spiritual death hell? Well, because when you're spiritually dead, you're cut off from God's presence, just like the Lamanites are right now in the scriptures right. at the moment. You know, that is... It's the hell. It's being cut off from the presence of God. But then he goes on to say that those who are spiritually dead will still receive the resurrection because it is a gift. So it's really, you know, it's a strong, powerful thing to go. Those who are sinful and those who are wicked, they even, even them, they're the ones that can receive the blessings of the atonement. And I think that's really, you know, something that it's hard for me not a good person <laughs> to really <laughs> comprehend and go, wow, really? You know, those those wicked people, even they get to enjoy the, the atonement. So it's a great thing. I mean, Christ is merciful, you know, and his mercy proceeds more than anyone ever could. I think I'd like, there's a lot of talk here about the adversary. We become devils, angels to the devil, be shut up for the presence of God. It's, it's be, we're being taught... We, these people are being taught on, on both sides. They're being taught, you know, this is what happened if you're going to be really good. And this is what you're going to happen if you're not going to be so good. But the Christ, Christ is still going to look out for you. Yes, you, you, you know, you will still feel the benefit of the atonement. But it's, you know, sometimes it's difficult to give people the bad news. It's really easy to give someone good news. But he's obviously just a a great teacher and the way he's delivering this message is he's he's delivering something quite negative but following it up in a really positive way so that the students the 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 us the people that are listening we're getting both ends of the spectrum not just being fed fed one situation and then you go okay well what if i can't do that situation well actually you're getting you're getting everything i think it's He's a, just a fantastic teacher. He is, he is a great teacher. Uh, yeah, you're right, because he, then he goes on to the next one. Oh, how great the plan of God. For on the other hand, the paradise of God must deliver up the spirits of the righteous. So now he's gone, yes, you know, bad people still be raising, but how much better it is it, on the other hand, for those that are righteous? He's, re and, he's really, he's almost trying to pump them up. Like he's, yeah, he's almost yeah. trying to really deliver this in... A, with gusto and like this is good news like you know again back to verse three lift up your heads forever this is this is great this is not a temporary thing this is so good yeah no yeah yeah and then he goes down again and talks about bad people in verse 14 wherefore we shall have a perfect knowledge of all our guilt and our uncleanness and our nakedness now, nakedness, I actually had to look into that because okay. I'd always read it a million times and I just wanted to understand what it right. meant. And what he means here is not nakedness itself, but more of uncontrolled, violent, noisy. That's the definition that's given for the nakedness. Right. Okay. It's more of a, um, 
an outburst sort of sort of thing okay yeah so we'll, we'll all have a perfect knowledge of those bad things and then he goes up again and he says and the righteous have a perfect knowledge of their enjoyment and their righteousness being clothed with purity yea even with the robe of righteousness so yeah again he's pumped them up and, and, going, and hey, it's, you know if you're the righteous people this is what you'll get there is a lot going on here that you mentioned about chapter nine i mean this chapter uh, this verse goes all the way to footnote I. And then uh, yeah. I, you know, I'm using, you know, as I always do, my normal old school hand scriptures. And page 75, half the page is taken up by footnotes. That's right. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot to it. Yeah. Excellent. Then verse 15, he starts explaining about judgment after the resurrection becomes the judgment. And we spoke about the judgment a few episodes ago. So I don't really want to get in too much into that right now. But, you know, the that will be judged sure. by the, the apostles and things like that. Yep. In verse 16, he sort of gives a warning here that if you look at verse 16, just a few lines down, it says, And it is his eternal word which cannot pass away, that they who are righteous shall be righteous still, and they who are filthy shall be filthy still. So essentially, when we die, it's not, okay, well, it doesn't matter what I do on earth, because when I die... I'll see God and I'll be good. It's fine. It, it, he's giving a warning. They're going, it's not that, that way. You need to be righteous here. And naturally you will be righteous in heaven. You, if you're a good person, you will be a good person. But if you're not a good person, you don't just switch. It's not that simple. So I feel like there, I've, you know, I've had that highlight for a long time. Because I feel like it's a real warning for everyone. It's not that simple. It's the same... It's, it's that old idea of, it's okay, on my deathbed, I'll just repent. It's yeah. so much more complicated than that. It's your, I almost think of it like it's your personality doesn't change. Hey, great news. I'll get all the hair on my head back. Perfect. <laughs> um, so, but my personality is what's going to be the same. And it's a great lesson in itself of... Well, good people will have a great eternity, but bad people who are just their personality, if they, they are just bad people to the core, they're not going to just get baptized. We, we, we can't just baptize them and then them get to heaven and go, oh, well, I've been baptized. I now know this is all real. Okay, now I'm great. Is that how you sort of see it or is it? That's exactly, yeah, exactly how I see it. It's your personality. Your personality goes with you. You know, it doesn't matter what you look like right now. It's your personality that will always remain with you. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, good. Yeah, great verse to take us through. So then, so that's his warning. But then again, he goes up again. He pumps everyone up again in verse 18. Behold, the righteous, the saints of the Holy One of Israel, they who have believed on the Holy One of Israel, they who have endured the crosses of the world and despised the shame of it, they shall inherit the kingdom of God, mm. which was prepared for them. So again, he's gone, hey, but if you're righteous, guess what? Good things. You know, he's gone up again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Crazy. You know, it's really, you know, I guess it's a real roller coaster yeah. for the people listening. They're like, ah, oh, you know? yes, ah, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then at the end, you sort of go, which one am I? Yeah. Am I the good or the bad? I better really focus on Everyone's that. Everyone's like, oh, for the bad bit, they're, they're, he's talking to you guys. He's not talking to me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, I'd hate to be that guy right now. <laughs> yeah. President Nelson, I think at a couple of conferences ago, he was talking about, I think he was talking about social media. 
And he goes, he was talking about, I think from memory, he was talking about on social media that sometimes people can be negative on social media when they're kind of not really that negative in real life. And I think he said something like, you know, if you don't know anyone that does that, hey, it's probably you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So now I want to talk about verse 21. Okay. Now verse 21 is Should I get my highlighter out? It's something that I learned more recently that I've always looked for, but I've I've finally found it. And I'm going to read it and then I want to talk about it with you. Okay. It says, And he cometh into this world that he may save all men if they were hearkened unto his voice. Okay. Fair enough. Yep. We all know that. For behold, he suffereth the pains of all men, yea, the pains of every living creature, both men, women, and children. Okay, and I'll get into that in a minute. This is the part I want to focus on. Who belonged to the family of Adam? Now, to me, that means that the atonement... Before you spring something on me, I'm quickly checking the references. Yep, you go. (laughs) So, to me, this is saying that the people who the atonement is for is the children of Adam and Eve. Right, Adam's family. I've just quickly opened up the infinite atonement to chapter 12, which is called Infinite in Coverage. And just to go on what you're talking about there of the line of Adam... Elder Joseph Fielding Smith spoke directly to this point. So this is page 83, if anyone's got this book. It is a very inconsistent notion, which is held by some, that the resurrection will only come to human souls, that the animals and plants have no spirits and therefore are not redeemed by the sacrifice of the Son of God, and hence they are not entitled to the resurrection. Yes, so we know that it doesn't cover Satan and his followers. And they didn't get bodies. They didn't get bodies. So this is something that I've, you know, just recently discovered, not with the Satan thing, but that the the atonement that was performed was performed for us here. We are the children of Adam and Eve. And, you know, I just think that's something spectacular. Now, the part that the, the most powerful scripture I've ever read is in Doctrine and Covenants, and it really references this part here. Where it says, for behold, he suffereth the pains of all men. Now, if we look at Doctrine and Covenants section 19, and it's verse, I mean, it really starts at verse 15, but just for the sake of the podcast, me reading scriptures all day, I just want to focus on verse 18. Mine, I've got I've got 10 to 15 highlighted. I've got punishment. Don't make God angry. <laughs> <laughs> Good plan. Yeah. All right. So, so it says here. Yep, concerning the atonement, he says, Which suffering caused myself, even God, the greatest of all, to tremble because of the pain, and to bleed at every pore, and to suffer both body and spirit, and would that I might not drink the bitter cup and shrink. Now, if he's talking about here the pains that he set for both men, women, and children under the family of Adam, this is the pains that he suffered. And again, it's like you said, for us, we understand. I mean, we'll never understand the actual physical pain that he went through, but we understand that the atonement is done. And we, and we, we, and we understand and we, we understand the pain that we've gone through. And so it's that plus everyone else's. Exactly. So we, I look at that and I go, wow, I can't believe he did that for me. Now, for like we were talking about before, for them to go, this will happen. Again, I think it's so much harder for the, them to comprehend. I don't know. I wasn't there. I could imagine for me, it wouldn't be so easy for me to comprehend that this will happen in the future, but that he will suffer the pains for all men under the family of Adam. And I think I just think that section, Dr. Covenant, is so powerful to explain that a God like him could suffer so much for us. And I think that's really good. And that's, that's essentially, you know, the main, the chiasmic part of this whole chapter 
that main important part that he suffered for us all. So I really like that. So now he's talking about the next bit, the next important part, baptism. So he essentially says here that he commands all men to be baptized. And it talks about a lot through the Book of Mormon, baptism. I mean, I might say it like I sound surprised. I just mean I've read the Bible a lot. Right. And it's quite rare in the Bible, baptism. And when it does talk about it, it sort of just skims over it, except for when Jesus is baptized. It skims over it a lot, but the Book of Mormon really emphasizes the importance of baptism and the way that baptism should be performed. And so we'll see, you know, that theme of baptism come up a lot because, you know, it is very, very important. And we know that the Bible's been changed a lot, you know, for for men. So, but he does, he, he says, and he commendeth all men that they must repent and be baptized in his name yes the atonement is going to be performed yes we need to repent yes we need to be baptized to be saved and then what he says next is exactly what you were saying before i feel like this is him this is jacob remembering the things that lehi says to him so this is in verse 25 he says wherefore he is given a law and where there is no law given there is no punishment Mm. and when there is no punishment there is no condemnation and it really is him saying you know showing the way that he was taught my father taught me this and this is what i will teach and what he's actually teaching here is he's saying that this is the law that's been given but the law if there's no law there's no punishment no condemnation this but this is talking about specifically the atonement where lehi was talking specifically about well there'd be no god but this is talking about well there'd be no need for an atonement if there was no law so the law is to repent and be baptized if we didn't have to repent and be baptized then there would be no punishment for the wickedness there's no consequence the wickedness no consequence what's the point of the atonement yeah and if there's no atonement then there's no resurrection because there was no point for the atonement so there's no resurrection and if there's no resurrection then yeah there's no god because god is god because he has children that will become like him mm, right you know and that's right. the same yes. you know god god wouldn't be god if there was no need for a law for no punishment no point of the atonement if there's no point of the atonement no point of resurrection god won't have children become like him again this is the emphasis that lehi spoke to jacob about and jacob's really you know explained it to the people i think it's really great it's really great to read there is so you much know. in this chapter hey yeah I yeah mean, I, it's, it's a massive chapter like we've been talking for a long time it's been a it's been an action pack. It's been so great to go through some of these things. So, Clive, just there's we've we seriously haven't covered all of chapter nine thirty eight. And in fine, woe unto all those who die in their sins, for they shall return to God and behold His face and remain in their sins. We haven't even gone into chapter ten. Maybe we need to come back and revisit this at some stage. Like I'm just flip, flipping over here. I've got so much stuff highlighted in ten. Jacob acknowledging sadness. He talks about the crucifixion. I think, yeah, maybe we need to come back to it at some stage, but it's been a great episode. Thank you everyone who's listened to us and hopefully have a look at some of these verses yourself. Hopefully we've just dove in just enough that it maybe sparks your interest and, oh, that makes sense, that makes sense. Highlight some things. We really really hope this week you can get into these chapters it we can learn so much clive have you got a quote to end us with i do actually and i felt inspired from the things that you were talking about last week actually you were talking about bruce r mcconkey's final um, oh, so talk. good so good so i actually found it and i just want to read the last part and it really goes hand in hand with 
the atonement and, and Jesus Christ, the things we were talking about today. He says, This I know of myself, independent of any other person. I am one of his witnesses, and in a coming day I shall feel the nail marks in his hands and in his feet, and shall wet his face with my tears. But I shall not know any better then than I know now that he is God's almighty Son, that he is our Saviour and Redeemer, and that salvation comes in and through his atoning blood in no other way. Just so powerful. Amazing. Thanks everyone for joining us. We'll see you all again next week. See you then.